to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. This week's show guest is my business partner, Kyle Ellicott. Kyle is a partner at Explorer Equity Group, who's in charge of managing our Asian investment portfolio on a day-to-day basis. He's also the co-founder of ReadWrite and Chief Labs Officer at ReadWrite Labs. To date, he's advised over 175 companies globally and successfully raised over $130 million in venture funding. Kyle, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jay. I am very excited to be a repeat guest. That's right. Uh, you might be one of the only repeat guests. Uh, I don't. I'm trying to think off the, the top of my head if I've had any repeat guests. You might be the first. This might be a really, really important moment. <laughs> I'm going to take the honor as the first today. Yeah, I think you. I think you earned that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of exciting things to talk about, uh, so I want to get right into it. Um, but before I do, I need to, uh, I've been told I need to just say a quick disclaimer, so I'm going to say it now. Uh, and this is to the audience. Nothing in this episode should be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on any investment before any investment decisions. Please consult with a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, or conduct your own due diligence. So I think you guys all really already know that, um, but we're going to talk a little bit more on about the investing side, which uh, a lot of you have asked about, um, particularly here in Asia. So I uh, want to make sure that we are crystal clear uh, that this is not a financial advice in any way shape or form anyway kyle uh welcome back to the show always good to have you on and uh it's funny because we've seen each other probably three times in the last uh month and a half in person and we haven't been able to uh, sit down and actually do a podcast uh, recording uh but now you are currently in the bay back in the bay area i'm sitting here in hong kong and we are making it happen so i'm happy and it's one of the beauties of the internet and having a decentralized team, so to speak, is that we can do this stuff anywhere. So for those who missed Kyle uh, 1.0 or, or, or actually episode 1.0, where he first came on my show, uh, for those who missed that, maybe Kyle, you can give a quick intro of your background, uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. Um, so the short version is I have been a, an entrepreneur majority of my life, uh, for better or for worse, as, uh, as some would say. Um, for me, it's been an absolute joy. And about five and a half years ago, started a company called Read Write Labs. Um, and that at the time was an accelerator, the very first, uh, and at the time, the largest uh, accelerator for the Internet of Things and wearable technology. And for those who don't know, an accelerator incubator uh, are you generally programs for startups or um, either early or kind of mid to early late stage? Um, so think of it as pre-seed to series A um, uh, type businesses uh, to kind of come in, get additional support, get access to resources, help um, scaling or growing their business, or in some cases expanding globally. Uh, and so we founded that um, about five and a half years ago in 2013. And then 
in 2015, expanded that out into Asia. So we went from San Francisco to Hong Kong and then into mainland China. Uh, and so during that time, um, I spent a lot of time expanding the business um, and operations along with the accelerator out uh, through Asia uh, and put about 30 weeks or so on the ground per year uh, in Asia, working with local governments, investors, businesses, uh, and entrepreneurs here helping to kind of grow the ecosystem. Uh, so a lot of my background is uh, focused on Asia, focused on uh, entrepreneurship, fundraising, and uh, global business. So uh, before we, we move on, um, I wanted to uh, ask you to clarify a quick point, um, accelerator versus incubator. And I think that it's a common question that a lot of uh, people have. Uh, can you just quickly explain what exactly the differences are between those two actual terms? Yeah, definitely. So um, the shortest version is that an incubator program is generally for those who, first off, incubator are, lo- are, are very long programs. They go from six months to five years. Uh, just like the term incubation or to incubate, uh, you take a small idea and you slowly nurture it to being released or being birthed, I guess, if you look at the uh, actual uh, definition. Whereas an accelerator is uh, taking something from zero to 60 super quick or 60 to 120 uh, miles an hour very fast. Um, and those programs for accelerators are generally um, about three to six months long, sometimes a little shorter. Um, very short in their duration, focused around um, getting to a targeted milestone, a lot of times around fundraising. So those generally end in a demo day right. um, and are focused on helping companies grow super quickly. But both programs offer you know, communities, they offer networks, education, mentors, um, and different opportunities. But incubators are generally longer term, um, sometimes don't cost or don't have a high cost. Accelerators are very short, fast-paced, focused around uh, a demo day type event, uh, and generally have some kind of investment uh, that's uh, put into the companies that they work with. Right on. Um, Awesome. Thanks for clarifying that. Uh, And I think that, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of the jargon in sort of early stage uh, investing is slightly different. And so it's good to sort of just get, you know, to recap some of this stuff, you know, I remember 10 years ago when I first started looking at companies, uh, you know, there was a lot of learning and a lot of little uh, ter- technical terms and stuff that you just have to kind of get to know before you actually dive in. Uh, or you can just dive in like I did and uh, and spend your money and, uh, and watch it burn away in the to- <laughs> trash can. So, uh, just toss <laughs> it into a fire and say, here you go. Yeah, exactly. Just take it. You know, what? Uh, something I'll, I'll add to that too. Uh, Jay, is that when when we both you know go ten years back when we both got really heavy into to startups and and, and investing, you know at the time it was mostly just talked about um, incubators and accelerators were very light touch. They were or there was only a few of them, I should say. Um, they are very well known, and those who weren't were generally focused around universities. Today, fast forward, you have you know online programs, you have boot camps that mm-hmm. people can go to for a few days or a week and get um, the education they need. You can go to um, an accelerator that's very, very structured or very loose. Uh, you can go to an incubator that's, again, very long, 
Or you can go to technology parks, which is something we're seeing a huge trend in, in Asia, that these are huge, huge campuses that are really their own self-sustaining ecosystem that bring together you know, a little bit of government, a little bit of university, a lot of startups, and a little bit of corporate, and a little bit of venture all into one place mm-hmm. uh, while still offering the benefits of, of these other programs. And you have co-working spaces that now are you know, all the rage, and including in Asia, as we've talked about in the past. And now these co-working spaces are also offering similar services. So 10 years ago, the type of support we had as entrepreneurs or that we could provide to our, um, our investments that we, we would make is completely different today. And so many more options and so much more opportunities for companies to have uh, success or, or chances of success because of this kind of changing of the landscape, which is right. super cool. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of changing of landscapes, um, you know, you've like you mentioned, you've spent uh, a significant amount of the last three years uh, in Asia. I think we were, <laughs> we were joking. That we were, what did you do? A hundred thousand miles for the last three years uh, in a row. I think we were joking yeah. about that the other day. Um, you've you've obviously dedicated a lot of of your personal time. In Asia, we've seen in in just the last three to five years. I mean, I, I've been watching it from the front row seat. Uh, five years ago, there was zero ecosystem, very very nascent. Now it's just exploding on at you know at the brim. Every single place I go, there's a startup. This there's a early stage investing that uh, a conference here, you know, a demo day there. Tell us a little bit about uh, at, at what point you realized that uh, Asia is. Is, is it. It's the next big thing. Why Asia? Why now? Why did you dedicate the last three years of your time and uh, in, in your personal life uh, going back and forth between the US and Asia? Yeah. So the moment I knew was literally the day I stepped off the plane on my very first trip to Asia. So November, it was November, November 2015, uh, I walked out of the plane and I landed in Hong Kong uh, and took the Airport Express. For those that don't know, it's the most efficient shuttle service or train service I've ever seen in the world. It takes you from the airport to downtown Hong Kong or central Hong Kong in 24 minutes exact. Um, I stepped off the plane, got onto the Airport Express, got to central um, Hong Kong, and had literally no questions, no fear, just everything was pointing me in the right direction. And the moment I got out into Central, I just saw this world of energy, of buzz, of excitement, and very quickly was off to the races into you know startup events and uh, meeting startups and meeting some of the investors. And uh, that first week, uh, you could not tell me no, uh, that Asia was not <laughs> going to be the future. Um, you could challenge me, but you couldn't tell me no. Um, mm-hmm. And, and since then, I think every trip I've made or every time I've lived there or I've spent time there, it just, it continues to show, you know, you've got an ecosystem that's thriving in all of the pieces within, you know, government, universities, investors, entrepreneurs, um, and so on. Everybody is giving 110%. Everybody is contributing or reinvesting or trying to create new opportunities or learn or 
anything they can do to make their local region thrive and successful. Mm-hmm. And you don't always see that everywhere. I mean, that was one thing that just just blew my mind. The, the Cyberport, uh, so one of the technology parks in in Hong Kong, you know, seeing Cyberport for the first time is four five billion or excuse me, uh, five building campus. Um, and the fact that it's loaded with startups and all the resources, they give funding, they do this, they provide education, they make partnerships, they help companies go overseas. I'm looking at this like, where did, where was this five years ago? Where, where was totally. this for me 10 years ago? Yeah. Uh, it just, it opened up my mind that this is a region. Then this went for everywhere I went in, in Asia. This was a region that was out to make a point and was out to make sure that they did everything they could to succeed and keep pace or push us all as a, as a world forward. Absolutely. It, you know, it reminds me of uh, an article that uh, Peter Diamandis wrote, I think it was last year or two years ago, when he first brought one of his groups over to China. And, um, and he talks about the 996 lifestyle, which is what it's kind of like a, a term, like a, it's like saying you're a hustler in, in China, Chinese. Uh, <laughs> and it's basically instead of working nine to five, they work nine to nine, six days a week. And so he wrote an article about this and it kind of went viral. I, I, I can't remember which publication. I think it was HuffPost or, or one of those. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, look, uh, you know, we're, we're going to basically disrupt uh, work and, uh, and figure out how to just uh, surpass uh, the rest of the world because we want to we want to make up for lost time um cool so so you you got the asia bug you got hooked um you know obviously like uh you know i mentioned in sort of the intro uh you know after being an entrepreneur you know you've worked with a, a bunch of companies um uh, and you've you've successfully raised venture uh capital funding um i think north of 100 million dollars for your various uh companies You've had a handful of exits under your belt as well, um, and now you're 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 shifting gears a little bit or expanding your your sort of uh, your your offering and skill set as a person. Um, you're 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 starting to invest in companies yourself. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, you know the fund you're running and uh, and how you how you how you go about your investment decision. Maybe give us some top level uh, overview, and then we can dig in a little bit closer to your investment process. Yeah, I, I've, you know, for as long as I can remember, I've been working with investors in, in some way, shape, or form. And I think that's an important fact. Um, you know, part of the reason we I decided to start the accelerator, but then also the reason I work with so many companies is, you know, having been an entrepreneur myself and lived and breathed the struggle, um, but also have worked with several on both sides of the table from venture to, to entrepreneurs and seen kind of what worked, what hasn't, why there was success or why there may not have been, and kind of you know looking at things holistically and, and after having worked with so many companies in, in IoT and, and around the world, the one thing I really wanted to kind of jump in deeper that I saw as a missing piece was was venture. Um, and so I, I wanted to start making a deeper shift into venture and um, you know after having traveled um, a lot back and forth, you know, Asia to me uh, is is an area that I see of tremendous opportunity from an investment side. Um, there's so many great entrepreneurs building real companies and real technologies that scale, that hit the one of the largest, if not depending on the country, the largest population or consumer market globally. 
Um, and you just can't find that anywhere else. And so I, I've, I've decided to start moving more into the world of, of venture, as you said, Jay, um, and wanting to provide that type of resource in a more mass quantity to um, entrepreneurs um, within the kind of cross-border worlds of, of the U.S. and Asia. Right. Um, you know, I mean, venture is a is an exciting place. It's a huge, huge space, uh, particularly venture in Asia. Um, are there any specific verticals that you focus on? I mean, obviously, you you have a sort of uh, um, you know natural you know background and, and expertise in in sort of IoT and hardware. But um, tell us a little bit about the, the different verticals that you're looking at to invest in. You know, not just on the investment side, but also what I'm seeing as trends and what I'm seeing as exciting in Asia um, is, is something to note as well, because there are so many different areas. And you know, when you look at it from an investment standpoint, you don't want to be too scatterbrained, but sometimes you do. <laughs> sometimes you want to be super specific. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. you don't. Um, and for me, as you, you pulled it uh, very greatly as like, I've been in IoT for five and a half plus years. And during that, the Internet of Things has literally touched every different industry. Um, and every industry is affected by that. Because of this, I've gotten the chance to really see a lot happening or moving in several different areas and get the chance to work or to um, help companies in all these. And I've, I've stayed close to the trends and where things are going or where things are coming. Uh, and so, you know, trying to stay on the forefront, uh, you know, yes, IoT is a very big focus. But when we look at Asia as a whole and um, the opportunities that exist with the growth of the consumer market, um, and more particularly to the uh, region of like the greater Bay Area, uh, where the mm -hmm. Pearl River Delta has been kind of redesignated as the Greater Bay or China's Greater Bay Area. And it encompasses 11 different cities um, or, or regions, I should say, districts uh, that um, encompass about 70 million people, 70, 70 million people who can all reach each other in, within one hour. And you think about mm -hmm. the impact of just that region and the types of things and technologies that are going to be needed. Or you look at something like Indonesia, an area that's uh, on the up-and-coming rise that has extreme wealth um, um, and, and, and population. Or you look at areas like Japan and Korea that are, are starting to surge into the um, entrepreneurial scene, or Vietnam and Thailand. All of these have something very much in common, and again, that's focused around consumer. So for me, consumer... Um, enterprise, very common, um, great businesses, uh, great uh, investment opportunities. But then when you dive deeper, you look at something like retail. Uh, you know, to me, re the retail sector or what's called new retail, uh, the emergence of online and offline retail or O2O, I think is fascinating. It's exploding in China. It's exploding throughout uh, greater area, Asia. So consumer, retail, um, enterprise and cloud, IoT, as we mentioned, fintech goes without saying um, in many of the regions because you have a lot of these emerging countries or emerging markets coming on that have essentially a fresh start um, to their financial system and the way that their uh, the population will interact from a and transact from a financial standpoint. Whereas here in the U.S., you know, we're still using credit cards with chips in them. 
um, mm -hmm. because of the way we've progressed. But also, um, you know, deeper technologies. We know China is is um, is hot on artificial intelligence, but that goes throughout um, Greater Asia into robotics, into drones, into industrial 4.0, and the rethinking of manufacturing and supply chains um, to what I would say is kind of a forgotten area, and that's um, education. Um, you know, you've got millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of people coming online wanting to be educated um, in a more globalized way. Uh, education technology, I think, is going to be be huge. But really, in, in summary, it's, it's technologies that are core to the Asia region that are focused on growing Asia that could have a tie back to the U.S. or Europe or other areas, but are, are core to the development of Asia. Absolutely. Um, so, so much to unpack there. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, first, you know, in my mind, there's a couple of things I wanted to say. Um, first, obviously, you mentioned uh, sort of the, the great macro tailwinds that we're seeing here in Asia, uh, specifically in China, um, such as the Greater Bay Area, um, the One Belt, One Road Initiative. A lot of these things may, may sound like sort of uh, top level propaganda and, and, and that sort of thing. But um, there, there is actual, uh, you know, there, there are actual results and, um, and synergies that, um, so for, for example, like the greater Bay area, you know, I mean, like you said, we're all connected within an hour. I mean, that little ecosystem is just getting smaller and smaller. They just announced or launched rather the, the, the high speed train between Hong Kong and Shenzhen, which I haven't taken yet, um, 10 minutes. Uh, which is crazy, right? Uh, if you think about it, and to be able to literally step out the door and be right in the middle of of Shenzhen in ten minutes, the the Silicon Valley of hardware, if you if you will, um, that's amazing to me. So there's a lot going on, obviously in this in this region, in uh, you know in China, in this region in the world, and I think that's going back to what you were talking about about when you were explaining the different verticals that you look at. You know, I mean, um, it's like you said, you have to kind of be. Uh, focus but you also have to be have a cast a wide net because i think what you said is true um in that a lot of these uh solutions will be uh will, will encompass more than one vertical you know i mean uh i was i was just speaking to our mutual friend uh david who runs uh, the co-working space up in in shenzhen uh, yesterday and a perfect example of this is uh is where he's actually taking that concept of co-working and making it co-living so he's encompassing now offering now um, solutions not just for the eight hours that people are at work but also the eight hours after that which include uh, meals you know uh, social uh, a bar concept and then at sometimes even uh, a nap or a snooze after that so um, as these solutions kind of cross uh, you know the different verticals uh, I think it's important that we uh, we actually look take a step back and look at um, at the core what we um, what we like to look at and invest in. I think is is really strong entrepreneurs, and I and I imagine that's the same case for your experience as you've been working with uh, a bunch of entrepreneurs in the past. Yeah, abs absolutely. I mean, what David and B Plus are doing it's um, the, the co working space. It's just it's phenomenal. I mean, we, we entrepreneurs and, and really all of us in general put so much time and effort into the things that we do that, you know, there, there needs to be a balance and there needs to be uh, really a lot of things rethought as to how we put, how, how we work and how much time we spend. And again, that balance of like, 
you know, this is work versus this is life. So you can keep that kind of healthy mental state um, while moving 24 seven on a global calendar or clock every day. So if you wanted to summarize some of the top level themes, so to speak, that you look in or you stand by uh, when you, when, when you look at companies that you invest in, if you could sort of categorize them uh, on a high level, what would they be? Yeah. So um, in, in terms of themes, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, innovative uh, consumer uh, experiences. Um, I'm looking for enabling technologies. Um, I'm looking for companies or, or technologies that are being built around social um, that, that drive, um, you know, engagement or growth. Um, looking for something that's going to push uh, and increase uh, consumer expansion, and, and of course, something that that uh, uh, adds value um, at the end of the day. Um, you know, those are probably five areas that I, I really, really look for. Um, top level themes, aside from something like uh, uh, you know the Internet of Things or consumer and and uh, and enterprise as well. Right. Um, so, as far as venture goes for for uh, an ecosystem, I'm going to just use Hong Kong as an example. Uh, and and uh, you guys in the audience, you've heard me talking about sort of the 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 current state of affairs here. It's it's obviously it's it's gotten a lot better in the last five years. Um, what what we're still lacking here in Hong Kong is is uh, a few exits, um, which will then make entrepreneurs uh, reinvest in the ecosystem and be sy- sympathetic towards uh, future entrepreneurs and startup founders. Um, but you know, lar- by and large, the VC uh, scene, early stage investing as an asset class, is not necessarily seen as a big sort of solution for a lot of these investors. Family offices like traditional investing, um, property, real estate is how everyone made their money here in Hong Kong. Um, they're they like playing the stock market. Uh, when it comes to investing in startups, uh, they're a little bit more hesitant, right? And so they, unfortunately, that has a negative effect because they aren't sympathetic towards the entrepreneurs and they treat it like a stock investment. If a entrepreneur is struggling for, uh, you know, 12 months um, and it's a little bit beyond the the runway that they're, they're first agreed upon, the Asian uh, family office or, or investor, whoever backed them, will basically trade out of that position uh, and basically cut off ties and move on to the next thing, which I don't think is a healthy thing for uh, the ecosystem or for, obviously, the startup founder. On the flip side, you have, uh, if you go and get venture funding in Silicon Valley at some of the big boys, um, you know, the, the, old, the old boys network, uh, you know, sometimes you get an overreach of involvement where, um, you know, the large VCs will literally try to take control of everything. And, uh, and all of a sudden you realize that your business is no longer your business anymore. It's just literally being run by those who wrote the checks. Um, so this is, this is a, I see as a challenge that we face in Asia. How do we nurture and grow the investor class to be more savvy and sophisticated and provide the right type of support for the entrepreneurs and the companies that are coming up. Um, from your standpoint uh, on the VC side, Kyle, what do you think, uh, you know, as a VC, what do you bring to the table? How do you want to play it differently than um, and, and toe the line between uh, providing enough support but not being overbearing and taking too much control? You know, it's it's a it's a great question and a a tough answer, um, because mm-hmm. you know it really it really revolves around balance, but it's also on a case by case basis. 
Um, you know, I don't think it's as, as black and white as you know, we either do this or we don't do that. It's, it's, you're going to look at each individual investment um, as you make them. And even, and this is something that I look at is, you know, some companies you will get very involved in. They will just need that um, either upfront or later on in, in their life. Um, others may not. Others may just need the check. Um, you provide the funding. You're there if and when they need it, but very rarely do they take advantage of it. Um, and it's okay that if, if it's one side or another, I think what's what's really uh, good for other investors to think about or even entrepreneurs who are looking is for, from an entrepreneur standpoint, know what you want or know, yeah, know what you want from the investors that you're working with or you have investing in you. You know, know some of the added value that they can provide and be very transparent on where you can use their help, but don't fully rely on it being your sole source of fixing that problem or um, that weakness within your company. Uh, instead, think of it as a support function and someone who can provide um, guidance or resources or um, a short-term um, a short-term fix, but again, not going to be your full-time hire. Um, from an investor standpoint, I think you've got to have a little bit of a an even even playing field for all investments. You know, as you make an investment, you know, let's say um, you expect to have a meeting, you know, once a meeting minimum once per month or once every two weeks uh, for the first couple of months just to get to know each other and see how you can help. Um, make sure that you're getting updates on the companies and you show them if they haven't done that, what the format is and how to get that regular. Um, and then you're always on the lookout. Uh, and I think this is probably one of the most important things. And the thing that I hope to continue to do is always um, kind of the ABC, the always be closing, um, kind of always <laughs> be closing for your portfolio. Um, yep. You know, you're out there just as much as they are. While you may not be talking to company A on a regular basis because they don't need to talk to you on a day-to-day, um, you may see a great opportunity. You may see a great co-investor. You may see a great partner. may see a great opportunity for them. Um, always be thinking of your portfolio and, and find ways to, to make that connection and help them um, indirectly. Uh, and so for me, that's what I'm hoping for. You know, I'm hoping to continue with my investments, um, having a baseline of, you know, once or twice a month meetings uh, and adjusting it based on the need um, for a short amount of time uh, to make sure the company can get its value or, or get jump started as necessary. Uh, and then uh, beyond that, you know, always be, always be closing for them and always be thinking of other ways or opportunities that um, come my way that they can benefit from uh, and be there when they need, um, you know, be there when they have questions about, you know, coming into the U.S. or be there uh, when they're looking to do business development um, around a particular area or meet a connection. Um, I think you have to start with a baseline uh, and adjust it. Just as you mentioned in the beginning, sometimes we have expensive lessons. Um, this is one of those, <laughs> and you just have to kind of uh, find your base and, and adjust it from there. So for me, that's that's what I'm looking to continue to do. Totally. I think also it's important to, to recognize that uh, for the most part, and, and obviously this, this is different than if you're, say, running a family office or if you're just independently wealthy. But a lot of VCs, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, are, are literally uh, just 
another step in that whole investment process. You know, I mean, VCs have investors themselves. They have to answer to. So they're not the end boss, you know, in a lot of cases. So, you know, I, I just thought of that when you said always be closing. I mean, a VC is, is just as much under, under the gun to, to have exits and, and to grow the portfolio companies as the actual entrepreneur is. Um, so that's important to, to recognize, you know, VCs should be your friends, uh, and your partner, not, not the, not the parents looking over your shoulder and, and telling you how to run your business. So if you go on knowing two things, one, what you need help with, right? Being transparent about that in those initial, you know, meetings that you have getting to know each other a little bit more, um, so that they can help, right? We're, we're there to help. Uh, we're not there just to always write a check and move away. We're actually there to help. Um, and on the other side is thinking about the life cycle, you know, your life cycle of your company, you're going to have a lot of people that come in and out of it that you're going to need at different times and have to revert back to. And so build those strong relationships, know how and when to use, uh, the people around you who are willing to help, um, at the right time in your life cycle and know that you can come back to them, uh, as well. And I think that's sometimes forgotten that, you know, the people that gave you your first check could be someone that's hugely valuable, uh, you know, five years down the road um, for their industry knowledge or for other reasons. So those, I think, are two things to, to keep in mind as well. Absolutely. Um, I want to jam into a quick uh, opportunity for you to do a little bit of humble bragging. Um, if you look at the amount of VCs that are sort of trying to enter the space, there's obviously a ton of them, ton of micro VCs, which is a very popular format right now. Um, you know, after you've, you've explained a lot of your background and your expertise and, and your, your network, what, you know, why, why invest with, with Kyle Ellicott uh, versus probably the thousands of other uh, micro VCs that are out there that, are, that might be looking at exactly <laughs> the same stuff that you are? <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great question. You know, I, th I think you, you do point something out that the micro VC trend is, is, is popping up in Asia and, and really in, in, on a global level. Um, you know, there's a lot of money out there um, and a lot of money that wants to be put into kind of the, the private, um, private equity or private startup space. Um, and so mm -hmm. it's just kind of a natural occurrence. There's been a lot of exits and hopefully if all goes well in 2019, there'll be a lot more. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think for, for me, one of the exciting things is, you know, I've, I've, I've been to the region. Um, I've been on the ground, learned a lot. I mean, a lot of hard lessons. It wasn't just land and everything's great. Um, I learned a lot of lessons. And, and from that, um, you know, have been able to provide a lot of insight and chances of success um, to the companies that I invest in or, or work with in some way that are looking to go there or looking to be there. Um, you know, I have the cross-border experience, so I've gotten the chance to be based in the Bay and uh, Los Angeles and um, throughout the U.S. and also uh, traveling back and forth to, to, to Asia. And, you know, the, the other thing is after running an accelerator for, for some time, you, you build a lot of relationships. And so, um, have a lot of accelerators and, and friends that are running them or co-investing in some of the same companies that, uh, you know, we accelerated together. Uh, and so I, I want to be able to, you know, continue to help, um, 
bring in good deal flow for those those uh, accelerator programs and also help uh, help them follow on uh, as as well. And um, you know, I think you you pointed out in the beginning, Jay, is like you know the the relationships um, from being on the ground. Um, go very, very deep in Asia. Um, there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good things. And I've had the chance to learn about those opportunities and, um, you know, want to be able to help companies take advantage of them and have been doing this, this thing on a global scale for, for quite some time. And, and so now it's, it's time to take it to that next level and, and get towards more of the, um, the capital side, uh, versus just, uh, the kind of business development and strategy resources as well. And, and I would actually add lastly too, is I like to be hands-on with entrepreneurs that, that I invest in. Um, so whether it's like we talked about that baseline or, or something more and um, you know, putting a great team around um, them and myself to make sure that there's people know where they are, no matter where they are, that can um, help them either locally or globally um, to increase the chances of success. I think, I think you'd probably be the, ideal investor for a startup not only were you are you an entrepreneur yourself you also spent a significant amount of time uh basically working uh to help entrepreneurs i mean that's basically what you've done for the last five years so i mean uh, i can't think of any better sort of investor that that could be backing uh your company than 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 you actually um last three questions uh and again thanks for coming on and for the time and for just explaining uh the opportunity and and what you're what you're working on it's it's very exciting here um you've you've you mentioned a bunch of sort of verticals and and thematics that you were focusing on in asia if you had to pick one (laughs) one teaser that you could throw out to our audience what's what's sort of the big trend um that might be worth uh taking a closer look at in asia uh for the next five to ten years Ooh, ooh, great great question (laughs) um there's so many (laughs) there is it's so tough to choose um I, I might be apt to say either retail or social and kind of the social internet um, area that's booming where people are starting, more people are coming online, more people are engaging, more people are leveraging uh, social in, in, um, in their apps or as a part of their business. So, and that's why I bring retail in. There's a lot of company or a few companies I've seen where if you go and find a product that you like you can leverage the power of your social network to um, also get excited and express interest. And through that, the more people that express interest from your network, the bigger discount you get on that particular item. And I think we'll see that Mm. as a growing trend around not just your consumer, uh, you know, type products, but that will move into to travel, that will move into services, it will move into a lot of different areas um, as people are more connected, more communicative, and, and really more engaged or in tuned um, with uh, working with others versus um, uh, the independence that they once had. I, I want to just put that in a little bit of context because context because uh, for the listeners that have never been to Asia, you're probably thinking, "What social consumer? That's that's boring." You're you're probably thinking, uh, "Why didn't he say AR, VR, or IoT or or artificial? Yeah, whatever." Um, but the scale in which uh, 
that China is actually disrupting the consumer market um, and and with social media and their social networks uh, in things such as WeChat and and mobile payments and they've just leapfrogged uh, the West. So um, don't don't underestimate <laughs> these trends uh, that have been around for a long time in the West, but um, they're just that much more scale at scale in in china and in asia and uh, that much more efficient so go back and do some more research and and think about what kyle just said um he he basically hit the nail on the head uh it doesn't sound like it but it trust me on this go back and look into it it's it's a huge huge opportunity um second to last question i'm uh, i just listened to this podcast i'm an expiring entrepreneur I would love to love to love to get in front of you or um, get into one of the hundred pitch decks that land on your desk every day. Um, what's one piece of advice that you could give to um, to to get in contact or or actually penetrate the uh, the the noise and and get to your get 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 in front of your eyes? Yeah. So the easiest is to get an introduction um, to get an introduction from a referral. So if they you know if if you're looking to get uh, in front of me or, or, or any of my um, my colleagues, the easiest is to get an introduction. Um, you know, have someone within my network who's um, who will tell you if they're they're close enough to me. Um, have them introduce you. Um, if I get an introduction from somebody, it's usually higher looked at than uh, something that comes in cold. Not to say that I don't look at cold um, emails or messages, but um, as you mentioned, sometimes it's noise. Uh, LinkedIn can be very noisy. Um, you know, email is is <laughs> is is uh, great, but usually, ninety nine percent of the time, the best way to get in front of me is to get an introduction or to get referred uh, by someone in my network. It's a uh, it's it's true. I mean, it's um, it sounds obvious again, uh, but you'd be surprised at how many people actually miss miss this or don't do this right. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not that difficult. It takes a little bit of effort uh, because of the way we're connected now in this world with the internet and social and all this stuff. It it doesn't take that. I mean, I, I feel like it, it's not that much work to basically. Uh, find someone that knows someone that knows you. You know what I mean. So, yeah. um, so be smart about this, guys. If you're trying to pitch Kyle, um, do a little bit of extra work. Try to find that right connection um, and 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 get in in front of him. Um, dude, last question is basically: Where can people find you, follow you, and learn more about what you're doing? Um, again, you know, thanks so much for your time for coming on the show. It's been awesome catching up as always. Um, and yeah, we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to seeing the great things that, uh, that you end up doing and investing in. So where can people find out about you? Yeah, definitely. So I, I think, uh, for, for me, the easiest place to find me is, is Twitter, uh, you know, at Kyle Ellicott, and then of course on LinkedIn, um, and, uh, can definitely find, uh, me elsewhere, but definitely start, uh, with LinkedIn and Twitter at Kyle, K-Y-L-E, last name Ellicott, E-L-L-I-C-O-T-T. Awesome, brother. Uh, we'll get it all linked up in the show notes. And uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting again. Uh, and, and best of luck with all the uh, on, on the investing side. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. Couldn't be happier to be a repeat guest on the J. Kim Show, <laughs> world famous. It's actually a, a thing, man. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, I yeah, know. You should be proud of I it. I am. This is... <laughs> This is one of the best podcasts out there. I'm, I'm proud to be here and, and uh, excited to get started. Awesome. Talk to you soon, man. All right. Talk soon. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.